We are called to be a generous people. But what if generosity is more than just giving? What if generosity is a way of seeing, reimagining what is possible, even when it looks like it's not enough? What if generosity is a way of obeying, choosing to follow the way of grace, even when it costs us greatly? What if generosity is a way of trusting, depending on God to provide, even when we give sacrificially? What if generosity is a way of living, joining together all that we have been given to bless others, even if we've never met them? May we learn to fully embrace, together, a life poured out for others. May we become truly generous. Good morning. Here's a joke for you. How do you find Will Smith in a snowstorm? Look for the fresh prints. If you liked that joke, give me the credit for having good taste. If you didn't like that joke, it's Judah's joke. Judah's joke. Good job, Judah. I like that joke. So as Pastor Benjamin missing, mentioned this morning, we have several of our ladies that are out of town uh, this week. And if you're watching on the live broadcast, I want to tell you that looking around the room, everything's fine. Everybody's fine. I mean, that kid... The scar is not that noticeable. That kid, the hair, it'll grow back in a year or so. Don't worry. And they'll get on their normal sleep schedule again in a month or so. It'll be great. So don't worry. Everybody here is fine. And, and in case you hadn't noticed, we've added a fourth row in the middle section. You may not have noticed that. So if you're watching online, we have room for you here. There's a section just for you. In fact, Jane said she doesn't need this whole section to herself here. You can come and invite a friend. It'll be great. We'll be delighted to see you. Now, speaking of drama, I want to set the record straight on the exciting incident that happened a few weeks ago that began with a 40th birthday skating party for my friend Aaron and ended with me being toted away in an ambulance. You know, what a weird night that was. Hey, you haven't heard this story, have you? It's his birthday, by the way. We have to sing before we leave, so we can't forget that. <laughs> we don't forget you. <clears throat> she made us. So, um, yeah, I was skating, and I was skating with Lucy and Miss Hannah, and I fell down, and I hit my elbow really hard, like hit my funny bone, and it created this like really sharp, intense pain. Now that's not weird. I'm used to that. I have two teenagers. So I'm used to sharp, intense pain. However, so, however, I, I, I didn't hit my head or anything, just my elbow. But as soon as I got up, I started to feel lightheaded. So I was like, I gotta get off the, I gotta get off the dance floor here. So I went to the side and by the time I got to the edge, I was feeling like nauseous. Now, what I should have done is laid down flat on the ground with my head level. But because I was afraid of all the germs that might be on the skating rink floor, I did not do that. I stayed upright. And then I proceeded to pass out and wake up four times in the course of 15 minutes. And so because of that, they called an ambulance and disturbed the party, and so I couldn't let one type four get all the attention at a party. I had to take back as much of it for myself 
as I could, and they towed me away in an ambulance. And at the moment when they were towing me away, Benjamin and I were laughing because I was like giving thumbs up to everybody, and he was like, is that for real or is he delirious? I was for real. I was totally actually fine at that moment. They took me to the hospital, and I paid doctors a ridiculous amount of money to tell you, tell me, you're fine, go home. And here's what happened, just in case you're wondering, because you may be asking, like, well, what happened, and why did this happen, and is it going to happen again, and why are you such a weirdo, Mr. Brett? If you're wondering all those questions, the last one I don't know the answer to, but the other ones I kind of do now. Essentially, it's something called uh, vasovagal syncope, which is like a reflex reaction that's weird that some people have. It can happen when you have intense pain, or when you see blood, or when you have an intense moment of trauma, what should happen is that your adrenaline should kick in. Like you should like get more energy, right? Your heart rate should go up. But if you have vasovagal syncope, which I'm pretty sure I have now that I've had this experience, what happens instead is you have an alternate reflex where your heart rate drops. Like for some reason, it's not what should happen, but it's what does happen, which is why some people pass out when they see blood because their reaction is that their heart rate drops. And when your heart rate drops in a strange, intense way, your brain says, oh, better protect myself. Let's turn off. And that's what happened to me. I was totally fine 15 minutes later. I was telling the ambulance guys, I'm fine, I'm fine. But they took me away anyway. So anyway, could this happen to me again? Yes, it could. If it does, make me lay down flat and I'll be fine. I may take a nap for a minute. My body may need to just kind of relax, and then I'll come back, and I'll be fine. But this is not the first time this happened to me. Judah actually made a whole stand-up comedy routine about it at Elements Got Talent. So now we know what it is, and yes, I'm fine. I'm fine. Thank you. All right, memory verse. Memory verse. Do we have it up on the screen? Our memory verse. So let's say it together. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Let's do it again because I feel like some of you didn't really kick in till the end. Let's, let's do it a second time. I know you'll, you'll be more engaged this time. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. That's so good. Could you leave that up for a second, Mr. Shannon? Because the kids have it on their sheets as well. So if you need to fill that in, that's your first item on your sheet today. This is our series about generosity, talking about it. And today, I'm talking about a piece of generosity, a part of it, that I don't really want to talk about. I don't really like this talk today. This is a talk that really doesn't make me particularly happy. Did I say that? Particularly, particularly happy. Or it's not joyful. And I'll tell you why in just a minute. To start with, let me make a confession. I do not meditate. I just don't meditate. Now, I'm defining meditation the way a lot of us in modern age define it, which is to sit for a certain amount of time and clear your mind and think of nothing. Like, think of nothing. Just be. Just be. This is like a big thing, this mindfulness. I do not do this. Now, there are a lot of experts, both in the medical science and doctors and gurus and influencers and all kinds of people that will tell you, 
you need to meditate. In fact, there are verses in the Bible that use the word meditate, although I would debate whether or not they mean it the way we mean it now. However, it is in the Bible. Things you should meditate on, and meditation's important. But I do not meditate. Now, there's a guy on Twitter that I follow that he doesn't meditate either. The reason he gives why he doesn't meditate is because he likes his mind just the way it is. He likes himself just the way it is, and he's afraid if he meditates, he'll mess it up. Now, I think that's silly. I would tell you, maybe that sounds good, and I, I should say, well, that's my reason too. I have this noble great reason why I don't meditate. But here's the real reason I don't meditate. It's not that complicated. It's pretty simple. The reason I don't meditate is I don't want to. I don't want to meditate. I do not want to sit there quietly and think about nothing. It sounds uncomfortable. I tried it. It felt uncomfortable. I didn't like it. I want to be thinking about things. I want to be doing things. I don't want to meditate. And before you get too judgy about me, and my lack of meditation. You got things too that you don't do, that you know you should do. You're supposed to do. It would be right and good to do them, but you don't do them. And if I asked you, you'd give me some reason. You got reasons. You'd give me a reason why you're not in therapy right now. You'd give me a reason why you're not working on your marriage right now the way you should. You'd give me a reason why you haven't quit that job or taken that job. You'd give me a reason why you're watching YouTube instead of reading books. You'd give me a reason why you play a little too much video games. You have a reason why you haven't taken that medication or why you haven't stopped taking that medication. You got reasons. Some of them are real. But a lot of times, with a lot of things... Those reasons aren't the real reasons. The real reason is you don't want to. You want to watch YouTube instead of reading a book. You want to sit inside and play video games instead of going for a walk outdoors. You want to just eat jelly beans instead of working out. That's what you want to do. And we very often do what we want to do. Now, this is hard for me to talk about because when I do things in life, I want to feel them. Like, I want to fully feel it. Like, I want to do things because, like, man, I really felt like doing this thing. That sounded super inspiring and exciting. And very often in our lives, when people try to convince us to do things, whether it's our parents or our friends or teachers or whatever, the way they convince us is to try to tell us why it'd be good for us to do it. Like they kind of say, well, look, if you ate this spinach, it'll make you stronger. It'll make you smarter. It'll make you faster. It'll make you thinner. All these things. This is good for you. This will affect your experience positively. If you're nice, other people will be nice to you. So be nice because it's actually good for you if you're nice to other people. Have you noticed this? That people try to do this? to convince you to do the things you should be doing because they're just the right thing to do? I'm not going to do that today. I'm not going to do that today. We're not going to talk about it that way because this lesson is about obedience. Obedience. That's what we're talking about today. Obedience as a way 
of being generous, as a way of being generous. And sometimes when we talk about generosity, we have to take the focus off ourselves for a minute and put it on somebody else and not wonder so much what's in it for me and to wonder instead what could be in it for someone else. And that's part of obedience. In many ways, at its core, our Christian faith is about helping others and controlling ourselves. Choosing who we want to be and then doing it. Sometimes we make our faith about controlling others and helping ourselves, which is the exact opposite of what it should be. So let's talk a little bit today about generosity as a path for helping others and controlling ourselves. I want us to talk about a story that Jesus told. He told it in Luke chapter 10. It's one of his most famous parables. A parable is a story, a story with a point, a story with a message behind it. This is the story we call the Good Samaritan. Heard this story before? Let me start. If you don't think you have, you may have anyway. Luke chapter 10. Let's start in verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? The man answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But the man wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. That's the priest. priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, Pass by on the other side. Let's stop. Who's a priest and a Levite? What does that mean? These are like holy people. These are people that are set apart from the normal Jewish people because Jesus was Jewish and he was telling this story to other Jewish people 2,000 years ago. So the priest and the Levite, these were people that were part of like their religion. They were people that did these holy things in the community. They were lifted up as special people, as part of the religion. But they just walked past when they saw this man. Why did they do that? Why did they do that? Now, you, you may have heard the rest of this story before. The rest of this story is that a guy who's a Samaritan, who's essentially a person of a, of a different race, in, in, to make things simple, he saw the man that was hurting, and even though he was kind of an outcast in the society, he was considered to be a, a negative person in the society, he's the one that stopped. He helped the man. 
He nursed him back to health. He took him to a place where he could get medical help, and he, out of his own pocket, paid for the medical attention. Now, he's the guy we usually talk about. He's the guy that when we tell this story, we usually focus on. And we say, how can we be more like that guy? Which is a good thing to talk about. And in current life and society, we talk, we use it to talk about uh, our connections with people that are different than us. People who are outsiders, people who are strangers, people who don't fit into our little worlds and our little cultures and our little views about how things are or how they should be or how everybody else should behave or look or act. And that's all good. But today I want to talk about these first two guys. The guys who should have stopped but didn't. Why didn't they stop? People have a lot of theories about that. I mean, this is this is just a story that Jesus told. We're, we don't think this actually happened. I mean, it's possible it actually happened, but we don't know that. So it's difficult to analyze it too much because these aren't real historical figures here that we could analyze their motives. We could guess. One guess would be that if these guys had stopped by interacting with this man who'd been hurt, they would have made themselves unclean. Now, in this time, in this part of the Jewish faith, people who were meant to be doing essentially like these holy sacraments of the Jewish faith, these things that were these ceremonies and rituals that were so important to them, they had to keep themselves clean, That what they called clean. And touching a person, having their blood on them, interacting with a person who'd been injured, that would make them unclean which would possibly mean that for a week they wouldn't be able to do their holy duties because they would have to wait until they were clean again. So they may have said in their mind, you know what, this guy's hurting, but if I stop and help, I'll make myself unclean for a week. Then I can't do all the holy important stuff that's really more important, that's my job, than helping this guy. So, maybe that was part of it. Another part of it is that this story takes place on a certain road. He specifically mentions the road. It is the road, let's see, from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, we do know historically, this was a dangerous road. This was not a road that was really safe, well lit, with lots of, lots of different security around and video cameras to record anything bad. No, no, this was a dangerous road. These guys could have thought this was a trick. This was an ambush. And if they had stopped to help this these guys, this guy that was injured, then marauders would have come out and attacked them. I like that word, marauders. We should use it more often. Anyway, they might have thought that was the case. We don't, we don't know. But they may have thought, for my own self-protection, not just for my duties, to the community, for my own self-protection, I have to keep moving. I can't stop. But ultimately, one way or the other, I think the question in their mind was, what's it going to cost me to do this? What's it going to cost me to stop? What will it cost me? In one of my documentary films, Look to the Sky, there's a story about a young man who was in Tennessee, lives in Tennessee, was up in the mountains, and he saw another young man 
fall into the water, into a rapidly moving stream. Young, some of our young people have seen this movie a couple of times. Anybody remember his name? Remember that kid's name? You remember his name? Emery is correct. Eli, good job. Your brother saved you. His name was Emery. And essentially, he saw another young person fall into this rapidly moving stream. Emery was the only person close enough to help. Because all the adults were far enough away that they could not get to this kid. And there was a split second moment. Literally a split second. Not even really time to think where Emery had to make a decision about whether he was going to jump in the water and help. He was the only one that could have done it. And if he didn't do it, this young man who'd fallen into the water could have been rushed down the stream, and who knows what could have happened. He could have been seriously injured. He could have died. Emery did not have five minutes to ponder this. He did not have all the time to calculate and to say, well, what's going to happen here? How would this work? What could happen to me? Is this smart? Is this a good idea? He didn't have the time. He had to react in a second. In the interview, I interviewed Emery's mom, and I asked her, do you think he should have done this? This is his mom of this like 12-year-old kid. Should your son have done this? Do you agree with the decision? It turned out okay. He did get this kid. Both kids lived. But it could have gone another way. Do you agree with this decision? And her response was, in life we're so used to calculating things, to weighing whether or not we should do this or should do that, whether it's worth it, whether the cost to us is too much. But sometimes you just have to jump in and help. Sometimes you just have to jump in and help. Because it's the right thing to do. Because that is what generosity demands. Because that is being obedient to who God has called us to be. And in that sense, the question is transformed from what will this cost me to instead from what will this cost me if I do it to what will it cost them if I don't? What will it cost them if I don't? And that shift takes the focus off you, your problems, your issues, your comfort, your happiness, and instead onto the well-being of another. What can I do to help? What can I do to make a difference? Now, to have that kind of mentality, the mentality that these two guys did not have, that this good Samaritan that Jesus talked about, did have. The ability to make a decision that is counter to what you feel like doing. Because in so many moments when generosity calls, we say, I don't want to. I don't want to do that. 
I know it's probably right. I know it's probably a good idea. I know I probably should. I know the world would be a better place if I did, but I don't want to do that. That's the moment where for us to obey what we have been called to do in the world requires something that I really don't like. And that is discipline. Discipline. Self-discipline. I do not like that word discipline. It's in the Bible multiple times. Here, let's read this verse. This is in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27. This is Paul talking. He said, But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. He goes on to say that he does things he doesn't want to do. He does things he doesn't want to do. And when we talk about that word discipline, man, I hate that word discipline. I really don't like it. That word is just above people that call their husband or wife wifey or hubs. That's just about the worst. That's just about the worst. A little piece of me dies every time I hear someone call their wife wifey. Oh, that's the worst. But that's not as bad as discipline. I do not like it. I do not like it. Maybe you love it. Maybe you're one of those weirdos that's like, I like discipline, disciplining myself. We can talk about that afterwards. But you're most likely like me, that when somebody says, we need to accomplish this thing. We need to do this thing. You need to do this thing in your life. It's going to take self-discipline. You're like, not me, brother. I don't want to do that. I want to do, I want to do what I want to do and I want to do it now and you can't tell me otherwise. I got rights. I got freedoms. This is a free country. I can do what I want to do. For me, that idea of discipline was transformed when I started switching it with a different word. A word that I like much better, a word that's much easier, that rolls off the tongue with such joy for me. And that word is investment. Investment. Being disciplined, controlling yourself, Allowing the Spirit of God to work through you and produce that sense of self-control and obedience? That's an investment. Now, sometimes we talk about investment in ourselves. You invest in your 401k or in something because you're investing in your future. You pay your mortgage payment if you're investing in ownership of your home. But as we talk about generosity, generosity is an investment in something else, something even more important than you. Recently, we hosted Mr. Skip's celebration of life here in this room. And one of the speakers, his name is Bob Andrews. He's actually my uncle. If you didn't know, he's, he's my uncle. Yeah, Bob Andrews is my uncle. Anyway... He spoke, and the very first thing, when he got up on stage to talk about Skip Ross, the very first thing he said was, Skip Ross was a big-time investor. 
He didn't invest in stocks and bonds. He didn't invest in crypto. Skip Ross invested in people. He invested in people. And that was the most important investment he could have made. Now, let me tell you something that's hard to hear, and maybe you haven't thought about it in a while. I'm sorry to mention this on your birthday, Charlie. But one day, you're going to die. I don't care how much healthy food you eat, how much you exercise, how much money you got, how good your doctors are. I don't care what choices you make in your life. At some point, you will reach the end of your physical journey in this life. And the question, no matter what your age, whether you're the youngest person in the room or the oldest, the question is, what will you leave behind? What will your investment be? Because if all you do is spend your life taking care of yourself, it's going to be a depressing funeral. Because there won't be much to say. Because who wants to have people stand up at your funeral and say, well, she sure did a good job of taking care of herself. She sure did pursue happiness with great gusto. That's not super noble. That's not memorable. This guy in this story was remembered. Now, 2,000 years later, we're still telling this story. We're going to share a story next week about a lady who gave practically nothing. It seemed on the surface to be practically nothing. But she gave everything. It was all she had. And 2,000 years later, we are still telling her story. We're still talking about her. We're still being inspired by her. We're still lifting her up. Because the reality of your life is the most important thing. Maybe the most important part of your story is the legacy. of What you leave behind. And the legacy, the positive legacy, will be built on generosity. It won't be built on anything else. But generosity. People ultimately won't care about the skyscrapers you built. They won't care about how much money you have in your 401k. They won't care about the movies you made and the speeches you gave and the places you went and all the travel you did and all the pictures on your Instagram account. They won't care about much of anything of that. What will matter were the times when you chose discipline over comfort. Where you chose to invest in others instead of just investing in yourself. Where you chose to care when it would have been easier to just walk on by. That is the heart of the story you will leave behind. And so the question today is, what do you want your story to be? What do you want your story to be? Where, how do you want people to remember you? It may require you to have that self-discipline so that you can today make choices that others will receive the dividends on 
for decades. For decades. It's not easy, but it's our calling. It's our calling. Let's do this memory verse again. Let's put the memory verse back up, Shane, because I think at its heart, that's what we're talking about. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. What story do you want to reap in the days ahead? Band can join back on stage. Let's pray. We are grateful, Father, for your love for us. We are grateful for the what you have poured into us for your generosity in our lives. Give us the courage, the boldness, the daring, the discipline, the commitment, the temperance, the self-control that we would give to others with that same spirit and heart with which you have given to us. You have invested so deeply in us, in our future, and in this moment. You've walked with us and given us strength through your spirit when we didn't earn it and we didn't deserve it. And we are so grateful. Help us to obey and to be those kinds of generous people in the world. In Jesus' name.